Thank you for listening to Hope Fellowship Church in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. We hope you enjoy our journey through the book of Acts, exploring the many powerful actions of Jesus Christ as he continues to move and teach us through his apostles by his Holy Spirit, empowering the explosion of the church to expand from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, which is you and me right here and right now, where we move from spectators to participants and join with Paul in preaching the gospel with all boldness and without hindrance. Let's now join Pastor Jordan Moody in our new series, Acts, The Movement Begins. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hopejaffrey.org. We're going to begin a brand new sermon series today because it's September and everything starts new in September. So we're going to be starting Acts today and very excited about this. Been looking at this book for, oh, I don't know, the last year or so and really trying to figure out a way to teach this and teach it well as it's been a book that's impacted my life a lot. It's something that I've been wanting to try to unpack for us. I know that's a phrase we preachers use a lot, but it's, that's what I look at it. Sometimes my mind, and as I read and study, it looks like a big mess. And so I'm trying to unpack it and, and lay it out clearly for us to see the work of God in the church. And so I'm very excited about getting in this. So let's just jump right in. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read the first 11 verses today. And today will be primarily somewhat of an overview, but also a really trying to figure out and understand some of the major themes of this book so that we can help to learn and grow as a church here in the 21st century, how we can also learn from the, the beginning here in Acts. And so we see here in Acts 1, 1, it says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Verse 5 says, For John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? His disciples asking him, and Jesus replies in verse 7, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. And here's a key verse that we will be referencing all through the series in a variety of different ways. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And verse 9 speaks of the ascension here. Verse 9, and when he said these things, as they were looking on, he would lift it up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heavens, as he went, behold, two men, stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up into, into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And with that, let us pray. Father, we thank you for these words. We ask God you'd bless this message and already as our hearts have been filled with worship, with prayer, with a, with a message and a, an encouragement from Josh, Lord, we thank you for this. Father, I pray that you would continue to teach us. 
Mold us, transform us by your spirit today through these words. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts 1, this message is the kind of the sequel to Luke is what we're looking at. And this idea of Acts, the movement begins, splintering out from here. It begins, but what is this? Well, I'm going to begin with an illustration. This article I was reading this week had nothing to do with this sermon until right now. So I'm going to throw it in there because it had me laughing. It had me in stitches. And I, I think it will make sense by the end of it, okay? So beginning, you might be confused. Uh, but the top 10 infomercial sayings of all time. Somebody took all the episodes of infomercials, put them into AI or whatever, and spit out some of the top 10 statements. And so the article says this. Uh, it's by Kat Wingert. She says, we've all been there before, perhaps, watching TV, perhaps late at night when a booming animated voice snaps you out of your sleep to pay attention to the latest gizmo or gadget that will solve a long-standing annoyance of domestic life. You watch, skeptical, that said device could possibly live up to its boastful claims, right? And then over-the-top demonstrations you know, are you really going to cut aluminum cans with that knife? But if you wanted to, you could, right? And so it begins to win you over. And so here are some of the statements. One of the, well, uh, before that, she says, what comes into it is the closer, the offer is presented, right? The lingo of the pitchman that is referred to as the turn. This is when the infomercial turns from information to commercial, when a simple sales pitch turns into an offer, too good to refuse. And I sit there like, yes, right? What is it? As seen on TV, Clearwater-based company that sells products in TV pitches, recently outlined top 10 most sayings used. One of them is the classic, two easy payments of 1999, right? No matter the product, there's one thing that will deter a purchase of any viewer. It is a high price tag, so simply split the purchase into two easy payments, and all of a sudden, it sounds more affordable, right? Next one would be your money back guaranteed, right? There's no reason not to buy the product when you are guaranteed to get your money back if you're dissatisfied, right? Or how about not available in stores? It addresses a common excuse. Well, I'll just get it tomorrow or I'll when I stop by the store. But hey, it's not available in stores. You must buy now because then that is immediately followed up with a statement of buy now, call now, right now, act now, limited time only, right? It, the, the building of the sense of urgency, purchase making decision process. And then the classic, not, you know, where they say, uh, where they say uh, we'll double the offer. We'll double the offer. You thought that was great. How about this? To sweeten the deal, the pitch man may add more value to the purchase. And your mind is blown with a free product or two of the same item. Buy two for the price of one. Don't think about it. Just buy, right? You ever heard that? Um, okay, I switched it there. That's good, though. <laughs> you can do it. It'll say, too, often just pumping you up. You can do it. The saying is made popular by the fitness guru, pitchman Tony Little. You can do it, right? Operators standing by. Some of you are like, what's an operator, okay? Um, back in the day, when people actually saw these things, uh, some infomercials included a ticking clock, tick, 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 suggesting that once the ad or the paid program is over, they'll never be able to take your order and it will be gone, 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 right? And so you had to pay now. Operators waiting by, they will take your call. And then the classic one, which was made very famous, which was set it and... All right, let's try it again. Set it and, yeah, everybody even knows. Set it and forget it. And again, some of you young kids are like, what is going on, right? The phrase was made pos uh, popular 
by Ron Pompeo or Pell. He, he made millions of dollars on this phrase, set it and forget it, as seen on TV. And then the most classic phrase that I love that I think will work in with today's message, I'm hoping, is <laughs> this idea. The most popular infomercial tagline is, but wait, there's more, right? You ever heard that? But wait, there's more, right? And so as I was thinking through how to illustrate this series, I, yes, scraped the bottom of the barrel of illustrations and now we're talking about infomercials. But this idea, it really struck me because as we did many months ago, many years ago, actually at this point, 2019, 2020, we were looking at the book of Acts, uh, book of Luke, and really Acts is the sequel to Luke. And so Luke is this beginning kind of information about the person of Jesus, and then Acts is the, but wait, there's more, right? In fact, uh, Paul, uh, Luke, who's writing here in Acts 1, he says in verse 4, he tells them to wait. He says, wait, you think that was amazing? You think Jesus coming, dying on the cross, rising right, and you think that was amazing? There's even more to come. And they're kind of blown away. He says, wait for the promise of the Father. Wait in Jerusalem because more power is coming. And, and they must be trying to figure out as they were waiting to try to really truly encapsulate all that they were about to experience. But it really was this, this book that struck me as it is a, a volume two, a part two of Acts. We, we see with, uh, with, of Luke and really in Luke it ends w- with frankly the death, of the resurrection of Jesus and his appearances to the disciples, and then here in Acts and at the beginning, end of Luke, you see the ascension. Jesus ascends to heaven. And as you read through Luke, um, you're taken through quite a ride in the book of Luke where Jesus was born in a manger. Every Christmas we read Luke 2, and we see Jesus highlighted coming down in the incarnation, being born in a manger, and, and then his life as he grows up, and and then, and then he goes quickly to his baptism where he's baptized by John the Baptist. Then he preaches a message uh, of, of the kingdom of God that is here and he works miracles to affirm and confirm this kingdom power. His rule and reign is here. And yet in his leaving in the ascension, he's telling them that he will return and bring in fullness this kingdom one day. Jesus then goes to call his disciples, he trains them, he leads them, he sends them out, changes their names from disciples to apostles, and the apostles are these sent out ones. Jesus then is arrested, he's taken to a Roman cross, he's brutally crucified, he's then taken down from there, and he's laid in a tomb, and spoiler alert, right, he doesn't stay dead. He rises from the grave. And it's in this extraordinary fulfillment of prophecy and, and, and working out of the power of God that the, he then appears to hundreds of people. At the end of Luke and other places there, it describes the different appearances that he had. He appears to those on the road to Emmaus, to the disciples in the upper room, and he appears to Thomas and to Peter and others. And he appears to these people. Jesus then ultimately says goodbye. And he leaves. And he ascends. And really, if the story were to end there, I mean, it would be extraordinary enough. But the amazing thing about the whole story of Christianity and the whole what we study in the book of Luke is it ends in Luke with Jesus ascending. But we know the story continues. 
we know in many respects that is just the beginning of the story. And really, the beauty of the book of Acts is we, in some way, share in the history that's still being written of that story today. That our history goes back to them, goes back thousands of years. And so Jesus ascends, he says goodbye, but he does not say, I'm leaving you alone. He's already instructed them and taught them about how he's going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with them. And then he actually tells them, hey, wait, stay where you are. Don't go, just leave, just stay. Before you leave, I'm going to send you an extraordinary power. There is going to be this Holy Spirit that will be poured out on all flesh. And so for us, we, we come into this book of Acts and we seek to put ourselves into the into the viewpoint of what is it that the disciples were seeing and experiencing as they were made from disciples. Now they're going to become apostles and they're going to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? How were they going to do this all over the globe? How were they going to seek to fulfill the mission that Jesus started? And I think the beauty of the book of Acts is, as has been said, this this concept that to me, the end of Acts is really just a dot, 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 and it continues, but wait, there's even more, right? And the more is you and me here today in 2023, continuing this same mission. So the book of Acts is ultimately a sequel. It's volume two. Some people love sequels to movies. Some people don't, right? The classic seasons of shows, I guess, is very popular today, where you have season one, then you have season two, and these kinds of things. And back in the day, a lot of the shows or movies might even end with the to be continued, dot, 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 right? And you're left with the cliffhanger. Often the main character of whatever show it was is dead, supposedly, but they always comes back to life in the next season, right? You can never trust that. And so it's that feeling of what is the suspense that's happening. There is there's a, a, a something big is about to happen. And yet the disciples or the apostles here, they aren't exactly sure how that's all going to work out. How actually is this going to happen? I, we feel as if our, our leader is, has just died. He's just risen, but now he's even left us. What do we do now? You know? And there's this sense of suspense and so this sequel comes along and Luke seeks to lay out for us a very orderly account just like he did in the book of Luke to be able to give us an understanding of the more of the gospel message here that's continued through the apostles and through the spirit and through and in the church. So if you look at Acts 1.1, you'll see he mentions his book Luke. The author of Luke writes Luke and Acts and Luke says, in my first book. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. I'll look at that in a moment, so keep that in your mind. Until the day he was taken up. Okay, so it's a very introductory statement. But also, if you were to look back in the book of Luke, maybe you have your Bible in front of you, you could go to Luke 1. Luke 1, verse 1 says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. So he's like, there's been a, a, a lot of work done to compile this narrative. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, he says, I've interviewed eyewitnesses of Jesus' life. This is Luke 1. 
and ministers of the word that have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past. So I've been following this, writing this down, and, and now I want to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. There's that guy's name again. This is Luke 1 verse 3. That you may have certainty uh, concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke writes the gospel of Luke to this guy named Theophilus to give him certainty about the person of Jesus Christ. Then he writes Acts also to this person named Theophilus to give him certainty, but also to help uh, explain the movement that blew up from the cross that Theophilus no doubt is experiencing in some way in the Roman world at that time. So as the church is splintering all over the known world at that time, Luke seeks to compile what God has done from the cross and through the Spirit at Pentecost and through the church and the Apostle Paul. Theophilus is a debated figure. Who is Theophilus? His name ultimately means like lover of God. But who exactly is he? Most people believe that he was probably, yes, some of the main audience for the book of Luke and um, and Acts, but he also probably was a patron or a benefactor for this project. We just think Luke would have just, you know, gotten out a notepad and started writing down these kinds of things. This kind of uh, endeavor would have been quite expensive to be able to purchase scroll and to be able to write them down in such a lengthy way and to compile it and, and go and travel and record and compile all of these things would have been quite an expensive endeavor. And then to then uh, supply that outwardly so that other copies of it would have been traveling by courier throughout uh, the Mediterranean at that time. So to do that would not have been a cheap thing. And so many believe that perhaps Theophilus was wealthy enough to be able to sponsor this kind of a project where Luke was then able to take this on, being sponsored by Theophilus, and then to be able to use this thing to be able to then propagate the gospel message as well. Theophilus, obviously, probably a follower of God, but also wanting to truly understand as a Gentile, outside of the Jewish faith, what it was with this Jewish Messiah who now is then taking a message to the Gentiles all over the world. It's an extraordinary shift that's happened. This very Old Testament Jewish Israelite message now going to people in Rome and, and Turkey and Spain and the Mediterranean down into Africa, out over into India. This message over these first couple of years goes all over the place to all people, groups, tribes, languages, and tongues. And so it's really quite a shift. And so Acts helps us to compile in an orderly account what it is God did. It's history. Some of you love history. Some of you are like, oh boy, history, right? History is one of my favorite, and Acts is very much history. And yet it's very selective, because if Luke wanted to record every single thing that happened at the beginning of the church, there would not be books to contain it. In fact, John says that at the end of his gospel. If I were to compile everything that Jesus did, there would not be enough books on the planet to be able to contain everything that he did. So it's an orderly account. It's selective in a sense that it speaks a message of what he's trying to communicate to who was truly the source of power for the spread? What, what exactly was the historical timeline of these things so that they can be ordered and presented to people? So that we, thousands of years later, can be here in Jaffrey, New Hampshire, and, and truly study how the church was birthed and started and learn about the power of the Holy Spirit in a church to take the gospel message to the end of the earth, which you'll hear me say a lot, is right here 
<laughs> we don't often think about ourselves being the end of the earth, but in relation to where it starts, we certainly are. And so, this, this command to spread is really also illustrated, I think, by our graphic that we're going to be using for several months here, which I thank Hannah so much for designing. But this idea is the concept of the cross of Jesus Christ coming on Calvary there and Jesus then resurrecting an empty cross. And from that, this multifaceted, multi-ethnic language movement, this Jesus movement, splinters and spreads out from this. One way to think of it is the way C.S. Lewis describes this kind of spread of the gospel around the globe. He's, he uses an illustration that at first is almost counterintuitive. He calls this message in this gospel spread, he calls it a good infection. I, I've always found that interesting, and for some reason it stuck with me, probably because at first you wouldn't think of an infection being good. You wouldn't think of something that's contagious being good. And so, in fact, in his book, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, Aslan is this Christ-like figure who actually roars out his power. And when he has defeated the White Witch, you know that there are many people who are stuck in stone statues. Have you seen those? They're, they, in his writings, there's these people who are frozen in stone. They've been uh, destroyed and killed and frozen by the White Witch. And now, Aslan comes, and it says he breathes on them. And in the movie or in the book, you, you'll see that it is as if when he breathes on these stone-cold statues, his breath almost melts them and breathes life into them and restores them, fills them with life and energy in his breath. And, and then in C.S. Lewis's other writings of this breath, he, he speaks of this in Mere Christianity, where he writes of this good infection that goes out and infects others that come in contact with it. It says, there is no other way to the happiness, this is C.S. Lewis writing, for which we were made. Good things as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. If you want to get warm, you must stand near fire. If you want to get wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They're not a sort of prizes which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. They are a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. If you are close to it, the spray will wet you. If you are close to it, the spray will wet you. If you are not, you will remain dry. Once a man is united to God, how could he not live forever? Once a man is separated from God, what can he do but wither and die? And then he goes on and says, now the whole offer which Christianity makes is this, that we can, if we let God have his way, come to share in the life of Christ. If we do, we shall then be sharing a life which was begotten, not made, which has always existed and will always exist. Christ is the Son of God, and if we share in this kind of life, we shall also be sons of God. We shall love the Father as He does, and the Holy Ghost will arise inside of us. He came to the world and became a man in order to spread to other men the kind of life that He has. By this, I call it a good infection. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. I know that was a lengthier quote, but I hope you can encapsulate that idea. The spread of the gospel message, 
that perhaps you are just experiencing for the first time. Perhaps you experienced that infection many years ago. Perhaps you are starting to recognize this contagious message of life and of joy and of salvation that is for you. That then you, as someone who has caught that infection, are not called to isolate and stay away from others, but in fact are called to do the very opposite. You are called to take that contagion, the positive message of the gospel and the power of Jesus Christ, wherever you go, and to spread that good infection to others you come in contact with. Notice though how different that is for our minds, right? We, especially after 2020, and I won't go into that because it brings up bad memories, but we, we think through those kind of ideas. Now, we are called to spread this contagious salvation. Isn't that amazing? This, this contagious message. And I love that graphic, just like I said, that graphic we look at, this, this spreading out of, from the gospel, the spreading out from Jesus, the spreading out from the cross that begins here in Acts, that we're going to look at, that begins in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And this good infection is for everyone. <laughs> it, does not, it is not partial. The good news of the kingdom of God that is here for anyone who would believe is for the Jew first, but also to the Greek, to the Gentile. As the word says, barbarians to the enslaver, free, male or female, we are able to receive the Spirit and to find salvation. It's not built into an ethnicity or a certain socioeconomic class. In fact, it unifies us all at the cross, for we're all sinners. For the wages of sin is death for everyone, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord through His grace. So we are able to receive of this baptism of the Spirit. Be cleansed, wash, then be filled with the Spirit over a lifetime of being filled more and more of the Spirit to walk in that Spirit and live out this way of righteousness. And then what I love about this is it unites us. This book of Acts in particular unites us around a common history. It's a common shared history. It's a message that we all participate in. You could say a, myster- uh, a history of humanity, like this history, the story of life, the story of people. We are human beings. And when you go to history class, perhaps some of you students are going right back to school. You're sitting in history class. You're learning about the pharaohs of Egypt, the British Empire's expansion, the Chinese building a great wall, the effects of the Gilded Age, the Great Depression, World War I and World War II, and where we find ourselves today. We learn that history because it affects us all in some way. Because as human beings, we live on this planet, and it is by understanding the history of other cultures that we learn who we are, what it is we have as a people today, who, how it is we dress and act and be as humanity. And so when we look at the church, we look at what we do today. You guys come into this building, you sit in this place, we sing songs, uh, we pray, and we hear a message presented. How do we get here? <laughs> How do we get to doing this, like to what we're doing now? You know, this is, this is a, we stand on the tradition of, of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, centuries of faithful people who have taken this word and presented it in a variety of languages and are now allowing this message to infect even our modern culture today. That even in this American modern movement that we find ourselves in here, that the gospel message and the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God infects even us today. That it wasn't just for another day and another time and another place. And that we need to go visit that place in order to catch that thing. 
No, that place is here right now. That place, as we'll see the tongues of fire that come and kind of land on people in Acts 2, is the concept that, that we now are new temples of the Holy Spirit, that we don't need to go to travel to Jerusalem. I love it. I, I got to go there. I got to visit the Temple Mount. But you don't have to make a pilgrimage there in order to catch this good news, in order to make some strange pilgrimage and go through some ritual in order to have your sins forgiven. There's no need for any of that, for the Holy Spirit is working around the globe. He's working in Jaffrey, New Hampshire, and He's working in India and in China and Australia. He's working all over the world because the Spirit of Jesus, through His Holy Spirit, lives in in the church and is growing the church. And the reason I know this is because Acts 1.1 says that, as Luke says here, he reminds us that this is something that he began to do. You guys notice that in Acts 1.1, if we look at that. Acts 1.1 says that Jesus began to do. So that's something that he did, and Jesus is now dead, and we just kind of look longingly back at the past, and man, I hope, man, I hope one day that works out for us, <laughs> But rather, Christianity is so different. It is so different than any other religion that you study or look at because Jesus began to do these things in the Gospel of Luke that's been recorded for us. And he continues to do these things in the book of Acts for you and for me. And then the book of Acts ends in Acts 28. And he continues to do these things in you and me here today. And so as we see Jesus beginning to do, he continues to do and teach, and then he continues to do and teach here in Jaffrey, New Hampshire, because Jesus is not dead. He is alive, and he lives within us through his spirit in the church, and that's what Acts is all about. Acts is a great sequel. <laughs> it's a, in some ways, you look at the title of Acts, and most of your Bibles, if you were to open up your Bible, it'll say, the Acts of the Apostles. It's been debated over the centuries of what to actually entitle this book. Acts really carries this idea of action, okay? Doings, works, things, done, right? Act, take action, right? So there's these actions of the apostles. Some throughout history, uh, church history, have called it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The Acts of the Holy Spirit. And then as I was reading and studying, there some emphasis recently been placed on, which I found very fascinating, was not only is this the acts of the apostles or the acts of the Holy Spirit as if Jesus is not present anymore, what we need to remember is that the important thing to keep in mind is Jesus is just, al- is just as much alive in the book of Luke as Jesus is just as much alive in the, in the book of Acts. We sometimes think he's stepped off the scene because maybe physically he has. He literally ascends into heaven. And so he leaves in the first couple of paragraphs of Acts. And yet we could accurately say that the book of Acts is also called not only Luke, the gospel of Jesus Christ, but Acts, the Acts of Jesus Christ. You could literally interpret it that way. In fact, G. Campbell Morgan says this title, and no wonder we didn't choose this title because it's a long one, right? This is what commentators always do. Uh, the book, he says, this, we could entitle Acts as the book of the continued doing and teaching of the living Christ by the Holy Spirit through his body, which is the church. The long-winded title, but I think it works. Another person said the Acts of the Holy Spirit in the church of Jesus Christ through God's people. John Stott suggests this, the title for the book of Acts could be called The Continuing Words and Deeds of Jesus by His Spirit through His Apostles. I think that one might be my favorite, I'm not sure. But the idea, do you get that? 
Jesus, yes, is the center linchpin of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John center around the Gospel message of Jesus Christ. His birth, his life, his death on a cross, and his resurrection. But the story does not end there. It continues on through the book of Acts. And just as important, because if that message just lived and died in Jerusalem, then we here in Jaffrey are in a big heap of trouble. But that message lived, died, rose again in Jerusalem, and continues all the way here to Jaffrey. <laughs> and that's what's incredible about the book of Acts. It is central around the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit is in that background, constantly making much of Christ wherever we see him, constantly transforming people's lives and empowering them for the work that Jesus is calling them to do. But God the Father has sent Jesus Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of God with the Father, and through the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit in the church, He is making this gospel message come alive within us so that you and me can be little Christs and spread that message around the globe. That's what makes this extraordinary, and really you could say an explosion, because now every single one of us is responsible for the message that we find here. And that, and not just me, not just Pastor Josh or the elders of the deacons, but every single one who calls himself a follower of Jesus Christ becomes a disciple of him and also in some manner and in some way is sent out like an apostle to share that good infection with the world. That's because Jesus is alive. We don't worship Buddha or Gandhi or the Brahmins or Muhammad. They have all died and they have not risen from the dead. We worship Jesus Christ who died and rose again and through his Holy Spirit lives in every country around the globe, in every people, all from, for, to the end of the earth. He died, he rose again, his spirit is now equipping, illuminating, transforming, sanctifying his followers to be more and more like him. And so that's the, the weight, there's more, right? Because he's not dead, he's alive. And not only is he just alive, he's alive in you and me. And that's the more that sometimes we just maybe miss and don't realize how important that is. Because in Acts 1-3, it says that he presented himself alive. Acts 1 verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Because he knew people would be skeptical at this. And so by many proofs, he appeared to them 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God. And so these proofs of, in 1 Corinthians 15, it describes how he appeared to uh, 500 brethren at this time, the people in the road to Emmaus, to Paul, and to others. And so it's by these proofs that we see Jesus alive in his resurrected state. And so there really, really is more. And the more we see that is about to come next week, in the coming weeks as we look at Acts 1 and 2, is this verse 4 and 5 of Acts where it says, and while staying with them, in Acts 1-4, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait, because there's more, for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Because John baptized you with water, but you will soon be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In fact, likely 10 days from then. Because Jesus appeared before the brothers after Passover for 40 days, then was ascended. 10 days later, adds up 40 plus 10, see what I did there, 50, 50th day is Penta, 
50, Pentecost, and on Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost on the 50th day, the Holy Spirit is, falls upon the church and empowers the church for this message to go around the globe. So he makes a connection with John the Baptist who came to prepare the way as he baptizes them for this message of repentance to look towards the coming of Jesus. And now there will be a spiritual baptism that comes in the Holy Spirit that kind of inaugurates this new way, this new age, this new time, this new life that is coming. And this new way of seeking out the Spirit of God that will be now filling every believer as a very temple of His Spirit to go and spread this message. And so as that baptism comes, we'll look at that again more in the coming weeks. But I want you to focus on these last little section, just a quick little side here. Verse 6 and 7 and 8. Acts 1, verse 6, 7 and 8, you get this question the disciples ask. The disciples are great at doing this. They often ask questions that you and I have all the time. And they ask this question in verse 6. They come together. Jesus, no doubt, is starting to, like, what's going on? You know, they're, they're, the disciples are getting a little antsy, perhaps, and they say, all right, Lord, will you, at this time, restore the kingdom to Israel? And as soon as you read that, you might not understand, but they're, they're missing a lot here, <laughs> because that's you and me. We miss a lot. Uh, they say, at this time, right now, are you going to restore, bring back the kingdom to Israel, your people? And according to some of the Old Testament and what they're studying, they're, they're seeing and recognizing what they really thought was going to happen all at the beginning. Jesus is going to ride in Jerusalem, overthrow the Roman Empire, build the temple, right? And then Israel would be that central point there that would take over the world, this sense, right? Jesus was going to establish his kingdom right then. He was going to be king over the word, earth, right? So right now, are you going to go do that? Right now, now that you've risen from the grave, are you going to do that? And he says, no. <laughs> He's like, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Don't worry so much about when. Worry about what you're supposed to do now. Because it's not for you to be guessing at the times and seasons and all these kinds of things. That is for the Father to know. It's for you to recognize what he's going to do in you right now. All right, so he says, I'm not going to restore this broken kingdom of Israel right here, right now. I'm actually going to give you a certain measure of power to then take this kingdom, not just for Israel, but the kingdom of Israel will now be grafting in Gentiles from all over the globe. And you are going to be my witnesses to do that very thing. And the disciples like, me? Like, who? What? This, this guy, right? And some of you are doing that same thing as the pastor and the preacher points at you, right? Okay? You're like, it's not me. No, that's what he's saying. Look at Romans 1, verse 8. But you will receive power. That's about to come. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, Acts chapter 2. And you will be my witnesses, my apostles, my sent out ones. You will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, number one. In Judea and Samaria, and then to the end of the earth. We actually have a slide, I believe, just to explain the outline of Acts, that literally Luke takes this verse, Acts 1-8, and he builds an outline for the whole book off of it. So all the happenings in chapters 1 through 7 happen in Jerusalem. And then all the happenings in chapters 8 through 12 happen in Judea and Samaria. And then we're introduced to this character of Saul, who turns to the apostle Paul, and Paul takes this message to the end of the earth at that time. And we learn about other apostles who went out during that time and around. But we see this expansion, this explosion. Jerusalem, number one. Judea and Samaria, 
Number two, and the end of the earth. Number three. So Acts 1-8 really functions as the thesis statement for the whole book, but also really an outline and a direction to navigate what it is that we're going to read and to also likewise participate in that very message. Because not only does this movement start with Jesus and really through the Holy Spirit coming then begin to fracture out, but it continues on to you and me today. And I hope you just don't miss that today. If there's anything that I want you to grasp, I want you to see yourself participating in this very same message and mission and movement that the Jesus movement, though it looks a little different here today, it is the same Jesus then that now lives in us today. And so we build his church through the kingdom of God, through the power of the Spirit, to expand in the Monadnock region, through all of you, as the Spirit empowers elders to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's so much great about being an elder. I just preach and tell you guys, and then you guys go and do it all, right? No, no, that's not maybe exactly the way it goes, but the sense of you have responsibility, and you're like, stink, I came to church and I have to do something? <laughs> That's exactly the point. That for you to take ownership of this mission, that the mission begins with the followers of Jesus, it continues with the followers of Jesus, and that includes you and me. The church of God is not some side gig. The church of God is not just something that is a casual country club to join. If you want to be in or out, it's up to you, casual kind of thing, just side upon every other Bit. The, the church of God is the main thing. Do you, you get that? Like the church, the people of God, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, spreading this message is the main thing. We are living out the book of Acts today as we are the church, spreading this message of Jesus' saving power for you and for me. And so we're going to close this service by singing the song King of Kings, one of my favorites. Uh, my girls and I will listen to it a lot of times going to school. And we'll, we sing out at this one part in the song where it goes like this. And the church of Christ was born and the spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of old, it shall not kneel and it shall not faint. And by his blood and in his name, in his freedom, I am free for the love of Jesus Christ who has resurrected me. The church of Christ was born. The spirit has lit the flame. And now this gospel message, this truth of old, it's not going to kneel and it's not going to faint even today. Though you might think that times the church is this, the church is that, or, or the culture is this, or the culture is that. We don't, Jesus Christ is not bowing the knee to culture. He's not bowing the knee to whatever president is going to be president of the United States. The, the church will exist and power through all of that. It endures all kinds of persecution in the past. It will endure all kinds of persecution in the future until he returns. There's nothing we can be more sure of than the fact that Jesus Christ himself says, I will build my church. So it gives us confidence today that we participate in a winning team. <laughs> we, we participate that in a group of people that know the end, that know the power of Jesus Christ that makes us more than conquerors over sin, hell, and death. And so we recognize the power is there, but our, it is now our job to take that power in our resurrected power to then bring that to others and share with them this good news all over the globe, all over the world. 
For the church of Christ was born, the spirit lift the flame. Now this gospel truth of old, it shall not kneel and it shall not faint. Let us pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word and your truth. God, we ask that you would be glorified in this series as we study your word in the book of Acts. God, help it to make it come alive to us. And this would be more than just history, but it would become our history. Lord, that this would motivate us to take this gospel message and share it with our neighbors, to really truly show them the love of Jesus that lives within us. God, empower us, equip us for this. God, empower this church to, to give to missions and to, to spread this gospel in places that we support, in places not only in our own region, but around the globe. God, that you would help us to understand and encapsulate this gospel message that would then be able to grow and splinter and fracture from this place, to plant more churches, to start more places, to see your kingdom expand all over the globe. We thank you for that. We thank you for the power of your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you are our King of kings. In Jesus' name.